welcome to podcast number 29B here at The Voice of the Arts with your host, yours truly, Joe Weber. We're going to feature a recent interview with the president of the Wild West History Association, Jim Dunham. I used to interview Jim on a weekly basis when I owned and operated WMLB 1690 AM in Atlanta, Georgia. He has a vast knowledge of the history of the Western states from the mid-1800s right up to the present. In this interview, he discusses the most famous of all the range wars, the Lincoln County, New Mexico Range War, which helped create the man and the myth, Henry McCarty, alias Henry Antrim, alias William Antrim, alias Billy Bonnie, alias Billy the Kid. But before we do that, we're going to hear The Legend of Me by Jack Handy. The Legend of Me by Jack Handy. They say that when the October moon is full, when the swamps and meadows are covered with an eerie mist, I will put down my beer and go walking through the streets. According to legend, my hair will stick out wildly from lying on the couch all day. I will walk with an awkward stagger, my arms held forward. No one knows why I walk this way. Some say it is to be ready in case I trip. Others say it is to make sure I don't go face first through a spider web. When I am abroad in the land, many of the frightened townspeople report hearing a ghastly, blood-curdling howl. This is the part of the legend that hurts my feelings the most, because I think they're talking about my singing. Some stories claim that if you confront me during my midnight walks and chant, Jack Handy, Jack Handy, give me some candy, that I will give you some candy. Man, forget it. I need that candy. I am said to prey upon young lovers, and that if I look into a bedroom window and see them having sex, I will stand there and watch with my red flaming eyes. But I am not looking for young lovers. I am usually looking for something else, like, I don't know, my lost treasure or something. If I happen to see two people having sex, I will stay and look, for I am curious about your human ways. They say I can turn into a bat. I can, but not very well. What I am probably best at is wandering into a party and transforming myself into someone who looks like he might have been invited. And woe to him who fingers me as an imposter, for he will be greeted by a hideous hissing sound coming from the tires of his car. It is whispered that I can suck the blood out of you. Others say I can start to tell a joke, but then get really confused and not remember how the joke goes and start over again and again until it drives you mad. But it's not my fault. You see, I am the offspring of an unholy union between a man and what people in these parts call a woe man. Some of the townspeople believe in me and some don't. But if I don't exist, then how do you explain the hook scratches around your car door lock or the coat hanger thrown in the bushes? Sadly, even those who believe in me are reluctant to loan me money. A few say I exist, but that I'm actually dead. As evidence, they point to the old gravestone in the cemetery with my name carved on it. But I have apologized for doing that and agreed to do community service. 
The truth is I live in a weird netherworld, somewhere between the dead and those guys who are out riding their bikes doing stuff like that. People are always asking if there's anything they can hold up that will frighten or repel me. One is a screaming baby. The legend also mentions my fear of fire. But come on, who's not afraid of fire? Man, wise up. To be honest, just about anything you hold up is going to frighten me. About the only thing I can think of that might not is an ice cream cone, so long as the ice cream isn't in a scary shape. Legend says that if sunlight ever hits me, I will wither into a pile of dust. That's true. Can I be stopped by bullets or clubbing? Of course I can. What are you thinking? And I would appreciate it if you wouldn't shine a flashlight in my face. How did I come to this curse? I'll tell you. I was bitten, bitten by a wolf. And not an ordinary wolf, but something called a schnauzer. A schnauzer owned by my so-called friend Don. Ever since then, I am compelled to wander the night like a schnauzer. They say my midnight haunts will never end until I am united with my true love. The sad thing is I don't even know her name. It's that French girl from the movie Swimming Pool. But unless I can figure out the area code for France, my love is probably doomed. Maybe magically the curse will be lifted. I'll get up bright and early and point to myself in the mirror and say... You're going to do great things today. No, wait, that's a different curse. And so I stalk. Usually Friday and Saturday nights are the main times I go stalking. And also, like I said, the moon should be full and mist covering things. But to be honest, it could pretty much be any night of the week. You've been listening to The Legend of Me, written by Jack Handy, in a collection called What I'd Say to the Martians. The story of Billy the Kid, how did it begin? What was the time and place of the range war that he was involved in? The Lincoln County War was was the one that Billy the Kid was involved in. And it was a group of men who had served together in the Union Army. In fact, uh, most of them had actually been born in Ireland and come over either from the potato famine or problems in, in Ireland had come over to the United States, served together and become friends from working together in the army, got into business together and they formed a, an organization or, or a business relationship, Murphy and Dolan, it was called. And the, the people in the community called it the, the house. What they learned was that there was farmers and ranchers in the area in New Mexico, especially the uh, Hispanic population. And these people needed to borrow money in order to buy uh, uh, seed for their crops. They needed to buy uh, borrow money in order to, to buy cattle. And so, so Murphy and Dolan started a banking business, a representation of a business where you could apply for a loan. And Murphy and Dolan were very clever. They figured out when the crops were due and they would have the, the, the paperwork written in such a way that it said, okay, on this date, you have to pay back the loan. And it would be so structured that they knew that they were asking for the payment back before the harvest was made, before the profit could be made, made on the crops. And so they would loan the money to the Hispanic farmers. They would plant wheat and corn and, and the various crops that were in that area. And then right about the time, just about a couple of days or a week before they were ready to harvest and go take their, their crop to market, the bank would show up and say, oh, by the way, today's the day you owe, you know, $10,000 or whatever it was you borrowed. 
And of course, they went crazy. They said, "Well, wait, wait, wait till tomorrow. You know, <laughs> tomorrow I will have the money because I'm I'm going to take all my wheat to harvest and market and sell it, and I'll come into the place and pay." And they said, "Oh, you need to read the small print because small print says it's due now." And the result was they couldn't do it, and so Murphy and Dolan took over the farm, and then waited one day, cut cut the harvest, and sold the product. We're talking New Mexico. Yeah, kind of around central New Mexico. So where does Billy come into the picture? There, All right, well, there... the first thing that happens is that these guys, these guys are powerful and they're wealthy and they've got political connections. And so these guys feel like they're they're totally uh, protected from anything that's going to be brought against them by the small farmers. There was a young man. And uh, and his, and what's so interesting is all of the movies, 100 percent of the movies want this to be an old guy because he's going to become the mentor of Billy the Kid. So they want him to be a, an old mentor. See, anyway, he's a young guy. He's about 25 years old. He he's working in Seattle, Washington, for his dad, who's in, who's in who's in the import business from England, and uh, and he has been taking trips out to the west. He's wondering if maybe he shouldn't get into the cattle business or the sheep herd business or something. And he spends some time in that area and he likes what he sees land wise, John Tunstall. So John Tunstall borrows, I think it was about $15,000, maybe more from his father. And he buys a ranch in Lincoln, New Mexico. And then he starts to see what's happening to these, to these poor Hispanic farmers and how they're being treated. And so he says, I'm going to go into competition and in, in competition with the house. He started a store, the Tunstall store. He was selling products. He sold, you know, farm products and, and uh, bolts of cloth and, and uh, tools and things like that. But he, in addition to selling store products, he decided that he would get into the banking loan business to give these, these farmers a chance to be successful. That means that he's cutting in now to the potential profit of, of Murphy and Dolan in the house. And so they're not about to have that. While he's doing this, he needs cowboys to work the ranch because he's got horses and cattle. And one of the cowboys that he hires, he hires a fellow named Dick Brewer to be his foreman. And he hires a young man who has gotten in a little bit of trouble. He was caught stealing clothing from a from a... Chinese laundry, <laughs> which isn't a big deal, but he's just a kid and he got uh, in trouble with that. But he's a teenager. He's about, you know, 18, 19 years old. And uh, and he got into a barroom fight in Arizona and, uh, and, and he was born Henry McCarty. His mother either was a widow or, or divorced, we're not sure. But his mother and Henry McCarty and his older brother, Joe, moved to Silver City, New Mexico, and she gets into the business of boarding house and and uh, working as a boarding house owner. And young McCarty goes to Arizona, gets into a barroom fight, and kills a guy by the name of Wendy Cahill. And then he's got to get out of Arizona, and he's running from the law. He might have been able to prove self-defense, hard to say, but he decides rather than to say and try to try to do that, he runs to New Mexico, changes his name to Willie, William Bonney, called, starts calling himself William Bonney. We don't know why he called himself William Bonney. It might have been simply that the song, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean, you know, it might have been that. We don't know. But he started calling himself William Bonney, and, and, uh, 
And for a while, he was known as, as uh, Kid Antrim because his mother remarried to a fellow by the name of uh, William Antrim. And so sometimes he was called Kid Antrim. But by the time he gets to Lincoln, New Mexico, looking for a job, he's calling himself William Bonney, and he gets hired by John Tunstall to be one of the cowboys on the Tunstall Ranch. You had indicated that you couldn't carry your guns into the barroom. So was the barroom fight a gunfight or was it a a physical fight? A fist I think fight? it was a gunfight, but but uh, uh, many times, well, first of all, there was no absolute rules. The, the, the rules for those kind of uh, laws were not federal. They were local. So so depending upon, you know, what, what barroom and what town, it may or may not have been a law. So he arrives in uh, in New Mexico and starts. He arrives working. in New Mexico as a young man looking for work, calling himself William Bonney. He was sometimes called the kid. The man who is the foreman for the ranch, who's sort of in charge of the cowboys, is is a fellow by the name of Dick Brewer. Tunstall has a real good friend who's a lawyer, whose name is Alexander McSween, and Alexander McSween and Tunstall are getting along really well. They're doing good. And all these cowboys are working for him. But Murphy and Dolan are very unhappy that Tunstall is loaning money to the Hispanic farmers. They, of course, are in cahoots with the sheriff, whose name is Brady. And Sheriff Brady has some deputies, and Tunstall, or Murphy and Dolan send the, the deputies out to assassinate John Tunstall. And he's out with some horses on his way to town, and he's going to sell the horses. And they are ambushed by these by these uh, so-called deputies, and and they don't uh, make any qualms that they're not there to to have a conversation. They're there to kill John Tunstall, and they they shoot him off his horse and kill him. Wow! All right, so the guys who did the killing are connected to the law. I mean, they are the they are the people who are the the deputies for the sheriff of Lincoln, New Mexico. And the sheriff is in the in the pocket of Murphy and Dolan. They've got money. They've got power. They've got influence. They got political influence. How are you gonna How are you gonna respond to that? Well, the 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 way they should have responded that would have solved this and it would never become a major problem is if they had gone to the federal government and they would have asked the federal marshals to get involved. If they had, if if they had said we've got a problem in our community. People are getting murdered. Please send federal marshals to check it out and and to determine who needs to be a, a, a charged with a crime. Do you if think they had they done would, that? Do you, you really think they would have been successful if they had done that? Oh yeah, I think so. I think they would have been successful. But they were not. They were not going to do that because they were in their anger. They didn't want to wait. They were impatient. And they just flat wanted, they wanted revenge is what they wanted. They wanted the, the taste of blood. And so Billy the Kid and several of his friends, they've called themselves the regulators. They're going to solve this problem of their, their enemies. And they hid behind a fence. When the sheriff, Brady, walks by with his deputy, uh, Henderman, they open up with rifles and shoot him in the back and kill, kill both the sheriff and his deputy. Now, what they have done regardless of the fact that who deserves to be who deserves it what they have done of course is just as bad as what the other guys did they have broken the law by murdering somebody and you are just not supposed to do that so now there are warrants out for their lives and they're they're deeply in trouble 
So the next thing that happens is they're 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 not, they're not satisfied. They want to get other guys too that are that are part of that Murphy Dolan group that they feel uh, need to be hunted down and and pay for what happened to their friend and their boss. And the next big fight is at is at uh, Blazers Mill, and uh, there's a fellow by the name of Buckshot Roberts, who was part of that Murphy Dolan faction, and he rides into he rides into the encampment there at Blazers Mill, and in in the meantime, uh, a half a dozen or more of the of the cowboys that work for Tunstall have gathered there to figure out what they're going to do next. And when he come, when this guy comes in, they say, "Oh, there's." Buckshot Roberts, he's one of those guys that we need to get. And so they jump out with their rifles, and Buckshot Roberts runs into one of the buildings, pulls his rifle. He grabs a, a mattress off of one of the, the beds and stuffs it in the doorway and starts defending himself with his with his rifle. They shoot back and forth at the at each other. And at one point, Dick Brewer, who now is is the leader of the of the regulators lifts his head up above where he's looking to, to see what he can see, to see if there's, if they're having any effect. And, and Buckshot Roberts puts a bullet all right through his head and kills him. And so what now has happened is that the leader of the Cowboys is dead. So they, they are, they're leaderless, but that's when Billy the Kid arises up and surfaces as the next leader. He takes over. If Buckshot Roberts had never been killed, we wouldn't have a Billy the Kid story because he would have been one of the sidekicks, not the leader. Claire 
outskirts Thinking he'd climb to that old steeple bell But a rifle ball came flying face down He lay dying there in the dust of the road where he fell There she ran to him just cursing the lawman Accepting no reason knowing he was killed Throat by Bruce Cascadden. If a feller's been a straddle since he's big enough to ride, why he's had to throw his saddle on most every kind of hide. Though it's nothing they take pride in, most of the fellers I have known, if they ever done much riding, as at various times got thrown. It might happen when you're starting on a roundup some fine day and you feel a bit uncertain about some little wall-eyed bay because he swells to beat the nation when you're cinching up the slack. And he gets an elevation in your saddle at the back. He starts rearing and a-jumping, and he strikes when you get near, but you cuss him and you thump him and you get him by the ear. Then your right hand grabs the saddle, and you catch a stirrup, too, and you aim to light a straddle like a woolly buckaroo. But he ducks his head and switches, and he makes a backward jump. Out of reach, your stirrup twitches, and your right spur grabs his rump. Stay with him, yells some feller, but you know it's hope forlorn, and you feel a streak of yeller as you choke the saddle horn. Then you feel one rain a-droppin', and you know he's got his head, and now your shirt tail's out and floppin', and that saddle pulls like lead. And you know there's no use tryin' when your spurs begin to slip, now you're upside down and flyin', and the horn tears through your grip. And you feel a vague sensation as upon the ground you roll like a violent separation twixt your body and your soul. You land against a hummock and you lay and gap for breath and then something grabs your stomach like the awful clutch of death. Yes, the landscape round you totters when at last you try to stand. You're shaky on your trotters and your mouth is full of sand. The boys all swear you beat a circus or a hoochie-coochie dance, wiping up the canyon surface with the bosom of your pants. Yeah, there's fellers gives prescriptions how these horses should be rode, but there's few that gives us descriptions of the times when they got throwed. 
Bruce Giscadden's wonderful poem, When You're Throwed. Before that, we heard Norman Blake from Rising Fawn, Georgia, singing Billy Gray. Make sure you stay tuned for the concluding portion of my interview with Jim Dunham on the life of Henry McCarty, alias Billy the Kid. Now, what's interesting is this has caused national problems. The, 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 the federal government has become involved in this because of the, the people are writing, people are stirred up, people are upset. They're mad, of course, because the people who are, who are the real bad guys are rich political people. The president is so angry that he replaces the governor and he removes Axel because Axel's got connections with Murphy and Dolan and those guys. Says, you're out, you're fired. He brings into the governor a guy who was a general in the Civil War. And this was a, this was a man who had served uh, in the Union from Indiana. And, and this man's name is Lou Wallace. Lou Wallace yeah. wrote Ben-Hur, right? He was in the process of writing Ben-Hur at the time while he is dealing with Billy the Kid. So he's writing Ben-Hur and he meets with Billy the Kid. And Billy the Kid explains who the real bad guys are. He tells the governor, he says, the real bad guys are Murphy and Dolan, and that you you need to get those guys and have them prosecuted for killing Tunstall and and so forth. But of course, he's killed people too now, see? So, so the governor says, okay, well, if you'll stop your violence, if you'll stop your, your behavior, if you'll stop your criminal behavior, and if you'll testify in court against Murphy and Dolan, we'll work out some kind of an amnesty. We'll work out some kind of a pardon and we'll get, we'll do, you know, make it work for you. So the kid leaves pretty happy. The problem is, is that the governor now, Lou Wallace, is making deals with criminals. He's making a deal with a murderer. And his friends come to him and say, you know, that's not smart. I mean, if you, if, if you want to, if you want to be a successful politician, you need to back away from Billy the Kid. You need to back away from making deals with guys that are murderers. And if anybody, if anything, you need to embrace the people who are very wealthy and very powerful and very politically influential and not be, not be bugging them, not be going after them. So the kid is frustrated because now he can't get his letters answered. He can't get any response. He has no connection, you know, with the governor. Powerful. And, yeah. yeah, with the powerful. And, and uh, about that time, uh, is when Pat Garrett gets elected to the position of sheriff of Lincoln County. And his number one job, according to the people who brought him in, is to get Billy the Kid, bring him to justice. And he puts a posse together and he catches up with him uh, at a place called Stinking Springs, which is a great name for a place. And the kid and his friends are hiding in a... a uh, a log, actually a rock house. It's a rock building made out of out of stones, and has a doorway. And they've actually they've taken their horses inside the building because because they you know figured they might need to make an escape. And uh, and Garrett has surrounded the house, and they actually doesn't have to do much because there's only one exit, just block that exit. And he has announced to the kid that he's under arrest. He has to come out and surrender. And one of the one of the cowboys tries to ride his horse out shooting and gets shot and killed. Horse falls in the doorway. Now they can't get anybody else out. Eventually, after carrying back and forth, the kid surrenders. 
they take him to uh, Messiah and and then to Santa Fe, and and he gets kid. The kid now goes to court and is found guilty of murdering Sheriff Brady, and he is sentenced to be hanged by the neck until death. And he is being kept in the uh, Lincoln County Courthouse, which is a two-story courthouse and locked up in handcuffs or some kind of chains or whatever. So he's waiting. Garrett leaves town. He goes to some place to buy lumber for the gallows because they're going to build a gallows and hang the kid. While he is out of town, the kid is watched by two of, of Garrett's deputies, Bob Ollinger and, and uh, Jim Bell. There's a couple other prisoners, and uh, Ollinger says, I'm going to take the other prisoners, and we're going to go across the street to the Wortley Hotel, and I'm going to buy them all lunch because it's time for them to get fed. So so Bell says, okay, I'll, I'll keep the kid. I'll watch the kid, bring some food back for him, and uh, we'll all have lunch. So Ollinger goes across the street with his prisoners, goes to the hotel. Billy the kid says, I have to go to the bathroom. Of course, the bathroom's the out. And so, so Bell says, okay. And he marches him down to the outhouse, unlocks his cuffs so he can go into the bathroom. He goes into the outhouse. And according to legend, Billy the Kid had a girlfriend, a Hispanic girlfriend, and she had hidden a revolver in the outhouse for him. So the kid comes out of the outhouse with this gun underneath his shirt. They march him back to the to the courthouse, and as they're going up the stairs to the second level, he pulls that gun out, turns around, and shoots Bell, who rolls to the bottom of the stairs and dies. Ollinger, who's across the street, hears the gunfire and comes running out of the hotel. But by that time, the kid has gotten up to the top of the stairs, probably gotten a key, gotten his his you know handcuffs off or whatever trying to get his leg irons off. And he sees Ollinger through the, through the upstairs window. He sees Bob Ollinger coming across the street. He leans out the window and says, hello, Bob, bram, and fires two barrels of Bob Ollinger's own shotgun at him. And he falls dead in the street. The kid steals a horse and rides off. Garrett comes back and of course now he's got, the kid is gone and he's got nobody to hang. And he's got two dead deputies. So now he puts together a posse of men and starts looking for the kid. He's got several possible clues. He knows that the kid has friends in Roswell. He knows that, he, that he's got friends in other towns. And one of the people that they both know is a fairly wealthy Hispanic man that's part of the Maxwell family. The Maxwell land grant was a land grant that, that covered quite a bit of cattle land that was given to the people who were actually owned this land when Spain owned the land before the uh, war with Mexico. And uh, and so they had this land grant. And, and Pete Maxwell has a pretty large home with a lot of rooms. He's got a number of, of uh, family members that live there with him, including Paulita, his daughter, one of his daughters. And most everybody believes Paulita was the girlfriend that Billy the Kid had been seeing. So uh, Garrett goes to Fort Sumner, New Mexico, not because he's sure the kid's in the area, but he wants to talk to Maxwell to see if the Maxwell has any heard any rumors 
about Billy the Kid being in the area. He also thinks he might have gone to Mexico. So he's trying to see if there's any chance that the kid might have gone to Mexico. So it's almost night. I mean, it's almost midnight. It's just a few minutes before midnight on July 14, 1881. He, he goes up on the porch and bangs on the door of Pete Maxwell's home. And a servant answers the door. And uh, he says, uh, I'm Pat Garrett, the sheriff. I want to see, I want to see Pete. And the servant says, Pete's asleep. He's in, he's in his bed. He's, he's asleep. He said, well, I know. I, I mean, I hate to wake him up and everything. I hate to be a problem, but I really need to talk to him. And I need to talk to him before tomorrow. Good time. And he says, okay, all right, let it I'll go. He's down the end of the hall. So, so the sheriff goes into the house, walks to the end of the hall, enters Pete Maxwell's bedroom. He's asleep in the bed. He kneels down in the darkness, kneels down, wakes Pete up. Pete goes, oh, what, what? He says, it's all right, Pete. It's, it's, it's Pat Garrett. I'm, it's okay. I just need to ask you a question. He said, I've heard rumors that the kid is in the area here, somewhere in the Fort Sumner area. And, uh, well, not only is he in the area, he's in the house. And the kid is with Paulita, and he is in this house at this moment. The kid has has gotten hungry, and he's a, he's wakened up in the middle of the night, hungry. He gets up out of bed. He's shirtless, and just wearing his his pants with no shoes on. He gets a butcher knife, and he's headed towards the, where the kitchen is, so that he can cut some meat off of the roast that they had for supper. And he walks by the doorway of Pete Maxwell's bedroom. And he hears people talking in there. And it's all dark. And so he turns silhouetted in the doorway because there's lights behind him. He turns silhouetted in the doorway and he leans in and he says, Kines. He says, Kines. He's in a Spanish home. We believe the kid could speak Spanish. We believe the kid could play the violin. He was loved by the girls, the, the Mexican girls, the Hispanic girls. They just they just found him adorable. He was he was well, what he was, what so was he saying? What was he saying in Spanish? He said, "Who is it? Who is it?" He said it twice. "Who is it?" And Garrett recognizes the voice, or said he recognizes the voice. You know, he's got a silhouetted man on the doorway speaking Spanish. He doesn't say you're under arrest. After all, now if this is the kid, he just killed two of his deputies in cold blood. He doesn't say hold it. He pulls his gun and without saying a word, blam, blam, fires twice. And one of those bullets goes through the kid's heart and kills him immediately. And he falls dead. He jumps up and he runs out to his deputies and says, I killed him. I just killed the kid. And of course he did. And the problem is that even then, we don't like our police work done that way. We don't like police officers who shoot first and ask questions later. On the other hand, here's the here's the guy who killed his two deputies standing in the doorway, and he doesn't know whether the guy's going to shoot him. And and it turned out he only had a knife. But we don't know. I mean, he doesn't know. I don't think it's good police work, but at the same time, you can understand his motive and what, where he's coming from. The fact that he shoots the kid the way he shoots the kid will result in so much animosity coming from the Hispanic community that he will not be reelected as sheriff. And he 
never really again has a chance to really have a job as a, as a police officer. He's appointed by President Theodore Roosevelt to be in charge of the of the border between El Paso, Texas, and and Mexico uh, during his tenure as President of the United States. So that's what he, he's doing. So the problem now is that we have Billy the Kid dead, and we have Pat Garrett pretty much without any any way of solving the problems. Nothing really comes down on Murphy and Dolan. They kind of they may they may pull back from their behavior just because of political pressure, but they don't ever really pay for their crimes, and that's kind of sad because in in many ways they are the real bad guys. Pat Garrett has a ranch, and there's a fellow by the name of Wayne Brazell who wants to rent some of that ranching property to run sheep on. And Wayne Brazell and and another fellow they're in a in a buckboard with Pat Garrett and they're surveying the ranch and looking at the ranch and arguing about what it's going to cost and how much the fees are going to be. And whatever whatever happens in that argument, Garrett gets out of the wagon. Some people say he went out to, to urinate. We're not sure. But he turns his back on Wayne Brazell. And according to the vast majority of people, Wayne Brazell shoots him in the back and kills him. There's there's always a conspiracy story that, that people people always people always want a conspiracy. It's not impossible that there was a fellow by the name of, of, of uh, Jim Miller uh, who was called Killing Jim, and uh, and that he was a hired gun and that he was brought in and was there at the time and he was hired to kill Pat Garrett. But it's highly unlikely. There doesn't seem to be any real. He's Garrett's not in the way of something that needs to be done by somebody else that that makes sense for them to be paying high money for a hired killer. And this has been this is far too late for it to be connected with with anything in Lincoln County in the earlier days. So what makes the story so good is we've got a young man, charismatic young man, who has every chance of being successful in life, who the world becomes too much, and the circumstances of evil become too hard, come down on him, and he winds up getting killed. It's the perfect American Wild West tragedy. Perfect story. If you're looking for a book to read about Billy the Kid, the best single book is written by Robert Utley, and it's called uh, Billy the Kid, A Short and Violent Life. Folks, that's going to do it for podcast number 29B here on The Voice of the Arts. This is Joe Weber saying so long for now, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 